Hi, and welcome to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, for episode 364, we've got some more Bitcoin privacy discussion. I know it's been a bit of a theme recently, but uh, it has just been relevant, I think, in my view. So I actually invited uh, Max Hillebrand on to chat a little bit, and we disagree a lot about this. So obviously, just for listeners, this one might be a little bit more on the controversial side. We talk a little bit about Wasabi Wallet and ZK Snacks and why they decided to implement blacklisting. Now, this is a decision I disagree with quite strongly. I have been quite critical of Wasabi Wallet. And so cards on the table, I'm obviously being quite upfront about that. And Max and I have that disagreement. In uh, And I think we talk out some of the key points here. So we talk about different CoinJoin coordinator models. We talk about this perhaps contradiction between being anti-chain surveillance firms and at the same time working with them. We also discuss if there is some kind of regulatory capture angle here. And we also talk about some of the issues in Wasabi Wallet, such as address reuse. And also Max at the end also tells us a little bit about how Wasabi Wallet 2 is going to work. So I hope you find this an interesting discussion with Max. Now, this show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, and I'm also working as part of the team over at Swan. Now, with Swan Bitcoin, there is a definite focus on education and community. And as part of this, there is Swan Bitcoin Canon. This is an easy way to go through different people's rabbit holes that they have curated for you. So, for example, we're talking about privacy in this episode. My friend Matt O'Dell has a rabbit hole that he has created on the swanbitcoin.com slash canon page. And there are others out there. I've got a rabbit hole. Lynn Alden has one. James and Lop has one. Guy Swan has one. And really, the mission with Swan is to create 10 million new Bitcoiners. And this is not just people who are stacking sats, but people who truly understand the importance of Bitcoin and education is key to accomplishing this mission. So if you want to go down the Swan Bitcoin cannons, there are, there are multiple rabbit holes there. Go to swanbitcoin.com slash cannon. Brains are a Bitcoin company through and through, and they're working on some of the most unique and cutting edge projects in the Bitcoin mining industry. So if you are a Bitcoin miner, make sure you check their website to see if Brains OS Plus is available for your Bitcoin mining ASIC. This is firmware that you can install on your ASIC machine. It gives you auto tuning, which optimizes your miner performance so you get more hash rate for your electricity bill. And with Brains, they are also driving forward adoption of Stratum V2. This is a next generation Bitcoin mining pool protocol. And it's really cool because it improves privacy and you protect yourself against hash rate hijacking with end-to-end encryption. You are also helping move forward the decentralization and distribution of the Bitcoin network by helping adoption with this. So if you use Brains OS Plus and you point your hash rate towards slush pool, you are helping in this adoption. So go to brains.com, that's brains with two eyes, and you can find out more there. Lend at HODL HODL. This is Bitcoin DeFi. This is a peer-to-peer Bitcoin-backed lending platform where you can lend or borrow stablecoins globally and anonymously. Now, I know there are people out there who have some Bitcoin and they would prefer to borrow against that and collateralize that for a small portion of their stack. And so by doing this, you can avoid a capital gains event and get some fiat liquidity. You can sign up very quickly and there's no verification required. You deal directly with other people and it's using that multi-signature escrow technology that you might know from hodl hodl so on the other hand if you have stable coins and you want to earn some return you can go and put up an offer on the hodl hodl lend page so it's just like an order book but in lending terms you put up your 
terms and your desired interest rate and people find each other in that way. So there are no hidden fees and the terms and conditions are transparent. Go to lend.hodlhodl.com. And now onto the show with Max. Max, great to chat again. Well, welcome, Stefan. Really looking forward to this conversation. It's going to be a fun one. Right. So, uh, look, I, uh, as, as I mentioned, I think we're, we're going to disagree a bit on this one, but uh, let's, let's chat it out. Let's discuss what's going on in the world of Bitcoin and privacy. So probably the main, obviously, the main topic here is going to be around what's going on with Wasabi Wallet and the blacklisting. But if you wanted to just give us your thoughts on how we got to this situation, or maybe just provide a bit of an overview about what's going on for listeners who aren't familiar, and then we can discuss the various issues. Yeah, so the TLDR is that the CK Snacks coordinator of Wasabi Wallet, uh, the default, uh, has decided to start uh, blacklisting or censoring certain UTXOs that are associated with known criminals uh, to its best of its ability. And, and why is that a problem in the first place? And I think for that, we have to go back all the way to the very beginning of where CoinJoin was actually discussed. You know, 2010, I think the concept came around and then 2013, Gregory Maxwell formalized it that you don't need to be a single user making a Bitcoin transaction all by yourself with only inputs that you actually control. Because if you do that all by yourself, thing like the common input ownership heuristic applies. And so whenever you see someone making a payment with multiple inputs, you can assume all of these inputs belong to the same person, uh, even when they're not on the same address, right? And this is some additional information that you share with every Bitcoin transaction that you make. Right? And then in 2013, there came this concept of a coin join. Let's just get together a group of users where we all have some inputs and we all have some outputs. And let's just make a transaction together. There's nothing in the Bitcoin consensus protocol that says that's not allowed, right? And the big question is then, so we're, we're as a group now building a new PSPT, right? A new partially or unsigned coin joint transactions where people add their inputs and their outputs. Right? And the question is, how do we get a consensus on which transaction are we building here, right? Which inputs are included and which outputs and in which order? Right, because uh, since all inputs need to sign the exact same message, right, the, the actual transaction referencing all the inputs and outputs. And, well, th that's a consensus problem, right? And all the way back, we had centralized solutions to this consensus problem, right? Just let's pick one computer that keeps the PSPT, right? And uh, users need to connect to this computer and say, hey, these are the inputs I want to register. These are the outputs I want to register. Uh, and, you know, centralized things are easy, quote unquote, they're fast, they're scalable, uh, well, they just work, you know, and then we've saw we've, we saw multiple centralized coin join implementations, like, for example, join market being one of the early pioneers, right. Uh, and then Wasabi coming later, uh, where there, the big difference is that in Wasabi, or Samurai, uh, you see a single coordinator that is connected to by all clients by default, right. So you download a package software, and you as a client now connect to the default coordinator, which is just one long-term reputable person. And hopefully, if there are not en enough app downloads and people depositing money into their wallets, then hopefully they're going to register and hopefully you're going to have enough liquidity, right? Because uh, we're here trying to hide in a crowd. So you need a crowd and hopefully lots of different people that look very different uh, on the input side, right? You want to get a lot of different transaction graphs consolidated in the coin join. And... Well, uh, centralized or these coordinators with a steady reputation uh, have done a decent job at that to some extent. But a join market has a brilliant solution to this too, right? So uh, an actual user who wants to make a coin join to a very specific round parameter, like exactly this standard denomination or equal denomination I want to create, right? the user 
is the coordinator as the taker, and he defines the round parameters. But then how are you going to get liquidity into your coin join? Right? You're just this random identity on the internet. Why would anyone connect to you? Right? You're not even packaging yourself as the default in some software. Well, the market is the solution. You just pay people to provide liquidity. Right? And uh, those liquidity providers are the makers. They're willing to coin join with any round parameter uh, for the amount of sats that they actually have. Right? They don't care what the standard denomination is. They just want to coin join. And that is a very genius solution. Huh? And it distributes kind of the task of running a coordinator. Because there's not just one for the software, but every user has the coordination code included, and every user can spin up a taker very, very easily. Right? However, well, that's still, you know, it's still quite complex. And even though it's a great solution, there's room for other solutions, you know. And this is then where centrally coordinated coin join wallets with a steady, long-term, reputable coordinator is there. But well, there's you know, whenever you have a trusted third party here in the sense of a trusted third party with whom you build your PSPT together, and right, that's the one single computer that that has the authoritative copy of which transaction are we going to sign. And, and well, trusted third parties are a security hole. And that's why there is yeah a, a big problem here, right? For one is how are you going to talk to that coordinator? And then, for example, Join Market uses IRC servers, right? And no actual blinding in the protocol itself. So you, as a maker, just provide all of your inputs and all of your output addresses in a single message uh, to the taker, right? And then the taker can actually spy on on you as a maker, right? Because there is no encryption used, and that's a problem, right? So uh, Gregory Maxwell already back in 2013 had this one single line, you know, in his description of, "Hey, how about we just use Jomian blind signatures?" And we basically create a eCash token, a digital bearer certificate, which represents access rights to this PSPT whiteboard. Right? So you can purchase yourself some access credentials in input registration. When you present your input and you prove that you're actually the one who controls uh, the script uh, and, and can sign for this input. Right? And when you've done that, the coordinator will put your input into the PSPT and he will give you this digital bearer certificate, a blind token. Right, which is the, the the access right to also write an output uh, to this uh, PSPT board. Right? Uh, however, because this is a Jomian eCache, the anonymity set of any token is all users. Right? So the coordinator cannot differentiate any of these tokens. Right? So when you later come and you present the token and you register your output, the coordinator has no way to link you to the input side. Right? He does not know uh, which input is associated to this output. He just knows that there was an input. He has verified that. Right? So it's not that someone is registering just an output of a thousand Bitcoin, even though he doesn't have an input. Right? And, and that's very important. right? So with, with using advanced blinded cryptography, we can reduce the amount of information that the coordinator has. And, and that's a very crucial point, because the more information the coordinator has, well, the more you've attributed yourself uh, to these actions, and the more there can be selective censorship going on. Right? So the ultimate goal is to reduce the amount of information that the coordinator learns to as little as is reasonable and possible. Right? But the thing is, you still have to talk to the coordinator and you will still have to provide some information. Right? Specifically, which input are you registering and also which output are you registering? Right? The coordinator might not be able to link the one to the other, but he can still see that a certain input was registered. Right? And well, uh, I don't think that there is any way to get around this problem in Bitcoin. Right? The coordinator and all signers just need to know what are the inputs and the outputs. Right? There needs to be a consensus on this. That's the entire point. And that just that means that there is going to be some level of 
control and censorship inherently just in the protocol. Uh, and specifically, as we're seeing it now, well, the coordinator can just say, hey, this certain input, I'm like pretty sure that this comes from, from a hacker who stole thousands of Bitcoins from, from innocent users. And you know what? I, I just don't want to allow this certain input to be registered uh, for, for whatever reasons. We can go into them at a later point, right? But this is just one piece of information that any coordinator will always have. And whenever you must reveal some information, you can be um, associated to it and the other person can make decisions based on the information that you have revealed specifically here, not allowing you to register. And then so the the proper solution around this would maybe be something like a decentrally coordinated coin join. Right? So we remove that single computer that keeps our authoritative copy of the PSPT that we're building, and we distribute this out so that there's just a network of peers that share information in multiple rounds with everyone, right? and they then get a consensus uh, on which transaction to sign without there being a single third party that they all trust. CoinShuffle or CoinShuffle++ are great decentralized coin join protocols. They're just very complex, uh, inefficient, and slow. And so uh, even though we looked into them, it's it's just, well, you know, building stuff decentralized is bloody difficult. And doing it centralized is a lot easier. Uh, okay. And I, I think that's why we will stick with centralized coin joins for a while. But any centralized coin join has that problem that you might be excluded from its round. Yeah. Okay. So let me just summarize some of that for listeners to make sure everyone's following along. So the idea is, there are, I guess, today three, I guess, well-known types of or three well-known coin join uh, providers, uh, and okay, I guess we're going to get into exactly what does that mean. But the general idea, as you're saying, is that people who want to participate in the coin join, they are registering their inputs into that coin join. This coin join coordinator is helping with that, and then you are receiving those coins on the output side, as you said, the registering of the outputs part. And of course, there is that architectural difference here with, say, join market, where it's coordinated through. IRC channels and basically the it's like the maker and taker there's a little bit more going on there that the taker is the one who is paying the coin join fee and then he gets a little bit more privacy because of that whereas the maker is the one sitting there just providing his coins for liquidity for the coin join right whereas the wasabi and samurai model there is a coordinator who's actually doing that as a centralized entity now i think to bring that now to what's happening in recent weeks let's say with Wasabi Wallet and ZK Snacks, it seems so going back a few years, it was never seen like, oh, we're going to have multiple coordinators, right? This seems to have been a recent, I guess, change in the language or change in the strategy. Why is that now this is becoming now the way? Because isn't it that people have to build up, you know, a reputation in a particular coordinator, whether that's the samurai coordinator or the Wasabi, what used to be the one Wasabi Wallet coordinator? Why is it now a change in that reasoning and strategy that there should be multiple. Yeah, so there there has always been a default coordinator, right, in in both Samurai and and, and Wasabi. But you know, uh, just to stick with Wasabi for now, like the the code for the backend is open source. You know, everything from the very first commit, both client and backend, free and open source, very well documented of how you can run uh, the backend coordinator by yourself, right? And uh, in fact, for the one point oh zero link coordinator, a couple people did that. Uh, I, I know of a handful, maybe five mainnet coordinators that uh, that provided the exact same service that CK Snacks did, right? But, but with some different configurations in the round parameters, 
right? Because again, if we have a, a trusted third party, that or that central coordinator defines the round parameters, right? Um, what's the minimum and maximum input value? What's the standard or equal denomination that we generate? Right? All of these things are just inherently defined, dictated by the coordinator. In the join market model, because the taker is the coordinator and because the taker actually has inputs and outputs, right, you're going to choose a denomination that suits your preferences. Right? And that's awesome because you can make a, a coin join with some random denomination like 10.675 Bitcoin or something, and you're still going to get people to coin join at specifically that value that you want. Right? That's awesome. This way you can actually have payments in a coin join just with having one standard denomination. At least one person can make an arbitrary amount payment, the taker. But with zero link, it's different uh, in the sense that you just have one coordinator that does dictate the exact round parameters. And this coordinator is not even a user of the coin join. He doesn't have inputs, right? So, um, and for example, in Wasabi's case, the minimum or the CK Snacks coordinator had a minimum denomination of 0.1 Bitcoin. And that was like the one default denomination that every user had to be part of. So if you have less than 0.1 Bitcoin, sorry, but you can't coin join, right? And if you have 100 Bitcoin, well, you're only going to get a large anonymity set for the 0.1 Bitcoin denomination, right? So you're going to get or have to get many uh, different UTXOs. And if you have 100 Bitcoin, you get like roughly 1,000 coins worth 0.1 Bitcoin, right? So that's, that's a bit tough. And then we saw other coordinators defining different standard uh, or equal denominations, right? So for example, the chain case zero link coordinator, uh, they had a 0.1 1 0.01 bitcoin i think or 0.05 or something like that right? just because it was it was on mobile people don't tend to have that many that much bitcoin on, on mobile wallets and um you know still alpha software so he wanted to take it slow uh, but but that's a very valuable thing of why you would want to run a different coordinator because you want to have different round parameters right and of course mainly on the technical level these round parameters do include the equal denomination especially in zero link uh, not so much in wasabi, but uh, wabi sabi, but we'll talk about that a bit later, maybe. Um, but the other main, so, so yeah, then one additional configuration that you can do is just deny certain coins in or to register to your to your round. And again, that's that's nothing new. That has always existed in wasabi code. That's the denial of service protection. Right? If you have a coin join with a bunch of inputs and outputs, and one of these inputs fails to sign the coin join. And you can assume, because you have denial of service protections, that you, you can assume that this is actually a malicious user who wants to disrupt the round. So what you do is you start the next round, the blame round, right? but there you exclude, you censor that specific input that did not sign. Right? So this blacklisting logic has been in the code since day one, and it has been executed and people have been blocked uh, in, in Wasabi already. Max, to be clear though, that is for a different reason, right? I think Absolutely. we could agree. So there is the reason of having certain protections in the code to allow a coin join round to proceed despite mm -hmm. let's say one user who is let's say being malicious or maybe even in a non-malicious case maybe they the internet cut out or something like that and so the coordinator might logically say look fine we're just going to exclude party a from the coin join because they are disrupting the coin join whether intentionally or not that's distinct from you know the blacklisting that we're talking about today right for sure, yes. But I'm just highlighting that this idea of having multiple coordinators has existed in the past, right? And and there are many reasons why you would want to run your own coordinator. Um, and one of the other main reasons is, is because you want to control which uh, which inputs are actually going to be registered there, right? You can have invite-only coin joins. There are zero-link Wasabi coordinators out there where the actual onion is not public knowledge, 
right? So uh, you need to be like someone needs to invite you by sending you this uh, this onion, and only then can you coin join, right? So here you could have coin joins just among your friends who know about this onion uh, address of the coordinator, right? So uh, to to curate who actually gets to register is already a a lift like use case of of one quite bi uh, big zero link coordinator, and sure it's it's very different to now also add the additional metadata that we have on the Bitcoin blockchain, right? That, that chain surveillance companies provide, all these tags of the risk factor of certain coins. Yes, that's that's definitely something new. So, so I'm not trying to down talk this here, right? But it's somewhat of a, of a soft work, right? Uh, you're, you're changing the acceptance of, of which coins do you consider valid, not on the Bitcoin consensus layer, right? That's the other important thing. Like Bitcoin consensus is still permissionless and decentralized enough that you can make payments even if you are blacklisted, right? You can just either get hash rate yourself or bribe a miner to hash a block with your transaction in it, right? So Bitcoin works. But what we're talking here about is, will you get access to someone else's computer? Will someone else allow you to write stuff on his computer, basically, right? And this is, uh, like, in, in, in my opinion, this is, well, ultimately, it comes down to property rights, right? It's uh, a coordinator is just someone else's computer, and it's not yours, right? So you ought to be quite thankful that someone actually provides you a service where you can use this computer for certain things, like coordinating around, right? But, well, for arbitrary reasons, any entrepreneur can decline to do business with anyone, right? And um, now, sure, we can talk about the the rationale behind the selective curation of your customer base as an entrepreneur and that there can be strategic blunders here. Absolutely. You might lose a shit ton of customers, but there might also be quite valid reasons for doing this, right? But fundamentally, I think ethically speaking, it's very much in line. In, in line right? So this is where we are coming to, and I think we were talking on Twitter, maybe I left a comment onto one of your posts saying, I think this is an obfuscation a bit, right? Like you're saying that you're sort of retreating back to this idea of, oh, the, it's the freedom of the entrepreneur. And I think basically most people in Bitcoin already accept this freedom, right? That's not the, I think I would say that's not the point in contention here. The point in contention here is more about you actually doing what you set out to do, right? Because mm -hmm. I mean, and look, Max, this is something you've commented, I believe, even in maybe two two years ago or 2019 or around there, you were literally saying chain surveillance or not in these exact words, but you said something like, you are my enemy, right? Like we're trying to end you or something similar like this. And you tagged in a bunch of these chain surveillance companies. And and now it seems like very disjointed or awkward now that you're in a position where ZK Snacks is actually having to work with one or some of these entities. How, how do you square these two ideas? Yeah, definitely. Uh, for me personally, my views did not change. I'm, I'm actually still quite critical of the decision that CK Snacks made here. And uh, arguably, uh, this is quite a blunder, right? So, but, but again, right, I, I'm not the company, you know, I'm, I'm just a random contributor. So I, I don't get to make the decision. And it's even tough for me to question these decisions, right? But so, yes. And, and you know, the reasons why I have so many quarrels with these companies is, is for one, that, uh, you know, Bitcoin is a public ledger. So, you know, they are just accumulating whatever information that they already have, right? But the thing is that many Bitcoin users have very, really bad practices when it comes to, to privacy usage of, of this public ledger, right? Address reuse, massive input consolidation, rounded payments amounts, all these things, right? And, and, and basically, chain surveillance companies now prey on the mistakes of individuals, right? And that's just, for me, a, a weird thing. I mean, I have nothing inherently against, you know, private investigators, uh, but it just seems to me as as being a really odd uh, business model, and uh, I, I still don't support it. 
you know, however, it, it is just a reality, you know, uh, th there is outside consensus metadata of the Bitcoin blockchain, right? And, and certain coins are attributed to certain users, right? Um, now, in some cases, some very few cases, we have a very clear definition or a very clear, like it's very obvious that a certain coin belongs to a criminal. You know, for example, the Bitfinex hacker, right? That was uh, like massive consolidation of all the money that he stole. And I mean, it's not that height, uh, not that uh, easy to hide 10,000s of Bitcoin, you know? So in, in that case, for example, it was pretty obvious, hey, this is someone who just literally stole Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is not unconfiscatable. You can steal Bitcoin very much. You can take Bitcoin that is not yours, specifically in such a custodial a clusterfuck as that was, right? And then that's the question of, so what do we do when we actually have cases that are very clear cut, right? But then the, the more pressing matter is, well, it's not always going to be clear cut, right? Especially when you start making transactions, especially when you, you know, have things like coin swaps, uh, lightning, uh, pay joins, you know, we're, we're working really hard to make the life of chain surveillance miserable. And that means that they're going to have many more false positives. So they're going to say that this coin is owned by a criminal, even though it's actually a peaceful individual, right? And they're going to have false negatives. There's going to be a bunch of criminals who are going to use Bitcoin in a private preserving way that it's going to be very difficult to attribute their actions to the coins that they have. Th this is where I have a big quarrel with, right? Um, the false positives and the false negatives. And I, I would say that, uh, at least as I understand it, CK Snacks will try to only focus on these cases that are really clear cut, you know, very obvious, very little ambiguity, because only then it works, right? Because if you have too many false positives and false negatives, it doesn't make sense, right? You're just disrupting your business way too much. But in a in a really clear-cut, obvious case, you know, I get it. So I'm not sure how much you're able to share or how much you know, but are you able to share like which chain surveillance tool is being used here? Like, do you know the method by which these obvious or clear-cut determinations will be made? Or is it is it like a black box that users are meant to just submit to the black box without knowing if their coins will be censored out of or, or stopped from participating in a coin join round. Yeah, I, I actually don't know yet uh, which, which company is being chosen. Um, uh, but as far as I understand it, so there's, um, you know, a, a risk score between one to 10, one being least risk, 10 being the highest. And the idea is to only take uh, out risk factor 10. Right. So, so only the, the highest uh, that could be argued as is the one with least ambiguity. Um, but, but again, not sure on this, this might change, right? But, uh, and then the question of, is it a black box? I guess it is because, you know, this is a configuration on the backend server. You just don't know what the configuration is, right? Uh, and I don't know if the choice of which coins, like which coin categories are blacklisted, like for example, saying, you know, chain analysis, risk factor 10 or something like that. If that would be revealed in the coordinator um, get status API request, I, I don't know. Arguably, it could be. Right? But one really, really interesting difference is um, if a custodial exchange does these change surveillance, right? They only get the information of which coin paid them after the transaction was broadcast, right? Uh, and it's out, and the Bitcoin is sent, uh, and then the custodian is in possession of the Bitcoin, right? and and then they are saying, okay, no, actually, we don't like the transaction history, so we're going to refuse this. But then you have this issue of a refund process, right? Now you actually need to refund the money to the person who sent it to you. And that's very complicated and usually another privacy leak, right? But uh, with coin joints, it's very different. Uh, a a coin joint is fundamentally secure in the sense that no money moves until you verified both inputs and outputs of the final transaction and you sign it and everyone else signs it. 
right? So, uh, and I think technically how this is going to work, that, that during input registration or at the end of input registration, an API request is made to the uh, chain surveillance firm. Uh, and then you see which inputs are are not allowed or, or, or blacklisted, basically. Uh, and these then get like a, a response from the coordinator with, sorry, we could not uh, allow your coin to be registered because of these reasons. Right? But the cool thing is, your money never moved. This was all during the coordination of the PSPT, right? Nothing was signed uh, and, and your input isn't even uh, revealed to other in participants of the round, right? So this is, there, there's no, there's never going to be an issue that you're going to send money somewhere uh, in, in the coin join and then uh, all of a sudden it, it has to be reverted because of the censorship. No, this is, um, this, this happens before even your, you move your, your coins, like bef before there's any chance of signing uh, the transaction. So there is an interesting nuance here with coin join that custodial providers have different. So I understand that point that you're saying in the case of using a custodial exchange, you might be then in the position of asking for your coins back. Exactly. But in this case, with the Wasabi, you would have, as an example, you might have some coins outside in a different wallet and you spend them into Wasabi Wallet. And then basically what you're saying is Wasabi Wallet would then poll or API call to the chain surveillance company and say, hey, is this coin from Stefan? Is it a risk factor 10 coin? Yes. Okay. Then Stefan's coin cannot participate in the coin join with ZK Snacks as the coordinator. That's essentially what you're saying, right? Yeah, exactly. Just of course, we don't know that you're Stefan. We just see a random Tor identity popping up and Correct. registering a single coin. Another interesting thing is if, if you have, let's say, five coins that you want to register, one of them is risk factor 10, right? but the other four are not. The cool thing, what we fixed with Wabi Sabi is that there is no longer input consolidation in the coordination protocol, right? So uh, whereas in ZeroLink, you had to provide one API request with one Tor identity where you list all of the inputs that you want to consolidate in this round. With Wabi Sabi, that's gone, right? So you create a new Tor identity and uh, just push one input through that right, to the coordinator. And then another new independent Tor identity, and that connects to the coordinator, right? So ultimately, the coordinator no longer knows which inputs belong to one user in this round. So in our case here, one, coin, one blacklisted coin and four none, your one blacklisted coin would get the response, hey, sorry, uh, you, you can't coin join with this. But the four other ones would still go through because the coordinator has no way of knowing that they actually do belong to you or to the same person that has the blacklisted coin. Yeah, and the weird thing to me, though, is... If the idea is these are privacy tools, isn't there like a little bit of a contradiction here? Because in some ways, one of the arguments is, and this is even on the Wasabi Wallet FAQ, is that some of these chain surveillance firms oversell their capability, right? Mm -hmm. They overstate their capacity to actually trace coins. And so isn't it sort of a contradictory thing where you're kind of sp speaking out of both sides of your mouth here? Because it's kind of like we're saying, oh, look, use this privacy wallet and we don't like the chain surveillance companies because they are overstating their capabilities. But at the same time, you're like at least ZK Snacks, not Wasabi Wallet, ZK Snacks is paying or presumably working with them to get their opinion on whether this coin is high risk factor or not. Don't you see a contradiction Absolutely. there? No, no, for sure. Uh, one of my main points uh, that I quarrel with as well, right? There, there are false positives, there are false negatives. These are, are all based on heuristics, right? And, uh, and yes, they are oversold tremendously, right? So, and... Uh, yeah, that's that's a contention, right? Um, but still, th there are some cases where it's really clear cut, right? The Bitfinex hacker was one of them, right? And if you try to only take out these cases, you know, it it's not perfect. I absolutely agree, but uh, it, it, you know, there's a lot of nuance in how you could implement this. And and my personal opinion on the final judgment of what CK Snacks is doing here very much is still out in the open because it just depends on the nuances. 
You know, if if all of a sudden all Canadian truckers, you know, all peaceful Russian civilians start getting blacklisted, I would have big quarrels with that. Right. But if, on the other hand, you know, only pol politicians and other violent criminals are getting blacklisted. Well, you know, then I'm happy. Uh, so I guess it really depends. You know, there's there's a lot of nuance here. But, you know, in general, what we can say, yes, just that is another precedence that UTXOs are not fungible, that there is metadata associated to UTXOs that are outside of the consensus implementation. Right? And uh, that's that's just super difficult because now you're going to have different surveillance companies that have different blacklists and different risk scores associated to it. Right? And now you have competing software clients, basically, that reach a different consensus of which coins are good and which coins are bad. And, well, there's no solution to it. Right? Bitcoin is the only solution to reach a decentralized consensus on something like this. And, well, obviously, Bitcoin doesn't work if you would have KYC and all these things baked in. Um, so, yeah, I, like, I, I, I agree. There's a lot of uncertainty here, a lot of edge cases where it's definitely not going to work. Right? And, but but uh, this is why we need a free market. Right. This is why we will have even more wabi-sabi coordinators, I think, that just try out the different things. Right. And and one of the other big things that we didn't mention yet, which should be obvious, not just do entrepreneurs have the choice of which customers to work with. Obviously, customers have the choice of which entrepreneur to work with. Right. So you don't have to talk to the CK Snacks coordinator if you don't agree with with this censoring just for any reason, you know, on ethical grounds or, um, you know, not even if you're affected from it. You might not even be blacklisted yourself. But you still might disagree with the choice that the coordinator did. And then, sure, you know, use, use another coordinator uh, that, that makes sense. And that's a good thing. Right? So in a free market, all these conflicts over what service should be provided uh, and how should a customer and entrepreneur collaborate together, like, that doesn't work in a, in a centrally planned system. Right? It only works in a free market because there we have optionality and choice. Right? And so I think there is a large user base who who would insist uh, to not coin join their coins with known public criminals, you know, with the risk score 10, for example. Um, just uh, th that was one of the feedbacks that I got, especially uh, from companies and institutional people of, of, hey, how about you coin join? Well, first thing was it's too expensive. It just consumes too much block space, right? Uh, we kind of fixed that with 2.0. It's way much block space efficient. And then the second thing was, I don't want to coin join my money with criminals. Like, I personally don't agree with that statement, but it was one of the major feedbacks that we got, right? And... Now, if you would have on the coordinator side a, a blacklisting, a curation of these known criminals, then a lot of users are going to be happy. A lot of users are not going to be happy because they care about freedom of speech and permissionless interactions. Right? But some users just want to be perceived as not dirty, right? You, and it's just a reality that this concept of taint and metadata, as flawed as it is, it's just a reality of how it works today. Right? And we saw, for example, a lot of coin join outputs being blacklisted with custodians precisely because there, there was some high risk score associated with that. Right now, if you uh, would remove all of the high risks, uh, risk score inputs, right, then uh, like blacklisting the outputs doesn't really make sense right? because there was no high risk input, so there cannot be a high risk output, kind of, you know, at least to some extent. Uh, so arguably, that, that might improve uh, the blacklisting of CoinJoin. Uh, when uh, of, of all CoinJoin outputs, with some entrepreneurs who just don't want to work with that risk of the ambiguity of a coin join. Now, I get that that's not the most strong of all arguments, and I think the jury is still out. I don't know if, if coin join, like the acceptance of coin join outputs will increase for the CK Snacks coordinator compared to others who don't have this. You know, I, I guess we'll see how, how the market reacts. The way I'm seeing it, I think 
very few people would want to use this because I just I think it, it just goes very anathema. It's very anti the whole idea of mm-hmm. uh, having a privacy wallet that censors people. And obviously, with the DOS reason aside, right, censoring people based on the past history of that coin just seems completely antithetical in my view. Mm-hmm. So I'm just very confused. And I think probably the other question that a lot of people have is why is ZK Snacks trying to pre-comply or comply before there's even a regulation or even some kind of you know police instruction or law mm-hmm. enforcement instruction of, hey, you must stop these bad coins. Why Why is ZK Snacks jumping the gun? Yeah, another of, of my main quarrels with this, right? Just to be clear, there there is no regulation that would comply this or compel this. And I don't think that there would be any time soon because it's, you know, freedom of speech, man. The coordinator is just a message relay. It's a chat room. You pass messages from left to right. You know, if that's illegal, like, poof, uh, you know, everything breaks down. Civilization is at an end at that point. So I, I hope that it will never reach that point that some outside party will compel CK Snacks to blacklist certain UTXOs. Right? And, and, and by the way, just because CK Snacks is now blacklisting some coins doesn't mean that regulators will be happy, right? Because some will say blacklist all Russian civilians, you know, or all truckers. Uh, but as far as I get it, CK Snacks would not do that, right? Uh, and there might still be friction here, right? So again, this is a soft fork, right? Other people might not agree with with the uh, consensus rules that that you have, right? There's there's a lot of nuance here, and so it's a tough one, really. But and I kind of would have preferred if this were a client side policy, right? If if on the client side you could blacklist certain risk factors, for example, you know, uh, because there are people who would be super stringent, right? I I, uh, I want to go all the way down to only coin joining with risk factor one, you know, lowest risk possible, for example. Uh, and some clients would have this specific preference and maybe it could be implemented in a nice way on the client side so that if you don't care, you just leave it all the way up to 10. And if you do care, you, you configure it, right? Um, and maybe that would have led to a, a better outcome because you can still talk to one coordinator, you know, uh, uh, and all, all the risk factor coins can still talk to one coordinator. And then we just figure out on the client side of how to allocate this. Maybe I, I really kind of hope to see a future where, where a lot of the coin join coordination goes a lot to client side and the optionality of a coordinator becomes less and less. Uh, I, I think we're getting there. We're not yet there fully. But and one of the major downsides is that then every client would have to have an account with the chain surveillance company. Right? If if you want to curate the coins that you're seeing in this proposed coin join, and you decide whether or not you want to coin join based on the metadata risk factor, right, you need to ask the chain surveillance company, and then you need to get an account and KYC probably in all of this. So not that easy. So in, in, in the meantime, just doing it top down from the coordinator side is a solution that, so assuming that you want to do this, it is a solution that is cheaper, right? Because only one person has to talk to the chain surveillance company compared to all the users who want to do it. Yeah, and I think that's just probably the other point that's very antithetical is this privacy, supposed privacy company is now paying a surveillance, like presumably there's a payment relationship mm-hmm. going on here where ZK Snacks is paying the chain surveillance firm for access to their surveillance black box to figure out which ones are risk factor 10. And yeah. it just seems so antithetical to me. Like, why would you want to participate in that? Why would users want to be a part of this system? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah g- good question. Uh, and I agree, right? I would prefer if CK Snacks would have hired another developer compared to paying the surveillance company, right? Obviously. Uh, however, you know, I mean, for one, it's their money, you know, whom I to disagree where they spend it with, if, you know, hookers and coke do it. <laughs> but, you know, on the other hand, a lot of like the vast majority of, of the revenue still gets reinvested in free and open source software. 
like uh, it, it's crazy how many people get paid for working on Wasabi and, and other uh, projects uh, uh, by now, right? So yes, some money goes to the enemy. The majority still stays within the ecosystem. So I think, yes, a lot of users will will disagree with the move and go to a different coordinator entirely, right? But I'm I'm not sure if everyone will do that, you know? Yeah, okay. And the other point that, Perhaps I'm speculating a little bit, uh, but when I saw this news, I got a bit skeptical and thought, is this a regulatory capture play, right? Like, uh, So as we see with the likes of the chain surveillance firms, they are trying to go out there, market themselves to governments and market themselves to exchange compliance teams saying, you need us to help because they'll market it like, look, see, we're keeping the crypto streets clean. Mm -hmm. When I think people who know better understand that a lot of the heuristics and this kind of tainting idea is oversold as we've agreed mm -hmm. so is there an angle there that zk snacks is almost trying to get into the regulatory capture game to sort of say look see we're a regulatory compliant coin join so therefore mr government or mr regulator mr central bank please do not shut me down or exchanges please do not blacklist the coins coming out from me zk snacks coordinator mm -hmm. you know yeah that's that's certainly a a desired outcome Right. And again, I don't think that governments have the power to actually shut down the coordinator and, and mandate a certain blacklisting. And I still think CK Snacks is going to make legal stance on that, uh, uh, you know, uh, because they want to actually choose what to blacklist. They don't want to be dictated what to blacklist. Right. So I don't think that this free speech argument is over, but it's I, I think it's to some extent at least uh, delayed. You know, I, I think that this move extended the, the life cycle of CK Snacks as a company just because, you know, there are obvious regulatory risks in, involved with this and you know anti-money launderings are crazy like they, they lost they're, they're really insane right so yeah there's going to be some aspects of it that uh, that might still uh, lead to contention in the future right but one other thing is that if you as a coin join coordinator you know if you want to work with uh, institutional clients and and really you know hedge funds insurance funds you know uh, michael saylor and all these people well even if ck snacks were not to be regulated those customers might very well be Right, uh, maybe because they're custodians of other people's money or or whatnot, right? And then these regulated entities can only become uh, users of a coordinator, uh, ar arguably not sure, but but if such a blacklisting is involved, again, the the major feedback that I got from from institutionals regarding coinjoin adoption was, I don't want to mix with criminals. My compliance team is going to take me apart on that one. Now I don't know if there is an actual concern here, or if this is just again some preemptive uh, speculative compliance. But arguably there is, right? So we might see this world where um, CK Snacks specifically, you know, has a bunch of liquidity from institutionals that are just not comfortable to to coin join with another coordinator, which has the anyone can join policy, including criminals. And so there's really a lot of nuance here. So yes, this alienates a lot of users, me being one of them, uh, but also this will encourage a lot of new users to come in. And, and that is why it was kind of a preemptive step from CK Snacks, because the question was, I mean, we're already really big, but we want to get even bigger, you know, and and how do we not just attract more liquidity, but how do we also ensure that our legal setup will will survive in the long run, you know, and we're just not completely overwhelmed with court cases and, and things like this. This was just one preemptive move to help with the scaling of the company, right? Because we think that now we can provide the service at a much larger scale while still having way less regulatory pressure than before, you know, because again, the, the coordinator can blacklist inputs and he can 
at least pay someone else to find out what the risk factor of this of this input is. Right. So if if you now do take the preemptive step to exclude known criminals, that might be uh, you know pro- or desired by certain customers. But again, like I'm I'm I I really struggle to say something here with with certainty because you know preferences are subjective uh, and value is subjective and customers will have their own preferences that I just don't know and could never predict. Right. So I'm I'm going to be very 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 curious of the actual on-chain activity that CK Snacks has and that other Wasabi 2.0 coordinators will have. I mean, there's still, you know, defaults matter a lot. That's the other thing, right? Um, and if, if you download the Wasabi package and you just by default connect to that one coordinator, obviously he still will get a large liquidity, but um, it's going to be very curious to see how other non-blacklisting coordinators do. Compass Mining case. is the world's first and largest online marketplace for Bitcoin mining, hardware, hosting, and ASIC reselling. Bitcoin mining is getting bigger and bigger, and so is Compass Mining. Compass is adding over 280 megawatts worth of capacity this year alone with more to come. So with Compass, you can go there and select your mining machine and you can have that sent to a vetted facility and have that plugged in and you select the Bitcoin mining pool and you are now streaming and receiving sats. On the other hand, if you are in the US, you can have that mining machine shipped to your home and do home mining and use the Compass at home mining guides. They've got all kinds of content on their website and audio material also that you can use to learn about Bitcoin mining and stay up to date. So that website is compassmining.io. Now, have you thought about upgrading your Bitcoin security? With Unchained Capital, you can use Collaborative Custody. This helps us remove single points of failure in our Bitcoin security setup. You might be leaving your coins with a custodian or on your exchange or even in a single signature hardware wallet and... You might be having some issues sleeping at night thinking, well, what happens if this happens or if that happens? Well, with multi-signature, you're providing yourself some security. You're giving yourself that defense in depth that something can go wrong and you still haven't lost your coins. With Unchained Capital, you can go to the website and create this yourself or you can use the concierge onboarding program, a specific program where you pay up front, you'll have some calls, they'll ship you some hardware wallets, you you will then learn how to do this even if you've never held your private keys before and you will get $1,000 deposited in your vault. So go to unchained.com and select the concierge onboarding program. And finally, my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet is the cold card. This is very highly recommended by many Bitcoiners. You can get it over at coinkite.com. Now, the cold card looks like a little calculator. You can use it to generate your Bitcoin secret seed words, and it can then also sign your Bitcoin transactions. And so this is a really cool tool to use. It's got all kinds of different features that you can use. It operates with many different open source Bitcoin wallets like Electrum or Spectre or Sparrow Wallet. And if you're unsure how to use it, make sure you check out their YouTube channel. The CoinKite YouTube channel has some great guides as well as documentation, which is over at the website coinkite.com. Now back to the show. So a couple of reactions, but first I want to talk a little bit about the free and voluntary interaction part, right? Because as we've been talking about a lot, we've been talking about the free choice of entrepreneurs, of consumers, but there is a serious risk then of regulatory capture if, say, Mm -hmm. if the regulation gets crafted in such a way to say, ah, look, see, this company is doing it. Why Mm -hmm. doesn't every other company do it? And if you're not doing it, this is now that's now that's the new regulatory standard. And then what happens is one big company gets the regulation almost becomes a cocoon Mm -hmm. or a defensive moat around them that then does actually influence other people's choices in a way that's not voluntary, Mm -hmm. right? Because we've been talking about voluntary, right? But when it's a government regulation, that's not voluntary. 
So there's a lot of people who might then get impacted by that regulatory capture angle of it, right? Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Right. And uh, th that's that's a big risk. And that's why this is a bad precedence. Uh, you know, this is the first coin drawing coordinator to actually do that. Uh, and yeah, that that might lead to it being misinterpreted, you know, that this is this, this is required to comply with anti-money laundering regulations. Uh, but again, CK Snacks isn't really making that argument, right? They're just saying we, uh, like, we are still the only one who can make this decision of, of whom to work with or not. We're not going to tolerate anyone dictating us certain users that we cannot work with uh, unless there are sufficient reasons that we agree with, right? So uh, the, the, this free speech argument, is, is, it's not yet over. And we'll see how CK Snacks will handle this and pioneer this in the future. But, but again... There will be other coordinators, and uh, they will be legal entities too, some of them at least, uh, and some of them will very much pursue a, a legal um, battle to make a clear precedence that this is not at all required. Right? So I, I really hope that you know, someone spins up a new coordinator, has a staunch free speech and anti-censorship ethos, you know, then earns a bunch of money and uses that to you know, defend himself in legal courts and set legal precedents. Uh, that would be great. I would love to see that. Right? Uh, and to a certain extent, CK Snacks is going to do exactly that too. Okay. So I guess there's a couple other things that people, I mean, there's always debates back and forth about what's going on with Wasabi. But one of them that I continually see is things around address reuse. And it seems like there's this constant debate back and forth there that, oh, that's an old bug, but then it's still occurring. And then we're hearing different stories of people speculate that, oh, okay, is it that there are different users running the same seed on different Wasabi clients? And therefore, that's why we're seeing this address reuse. From your perspective, Max, why are we seeing address reuse still in Wasabi Wallet CoinJoin? Yeah, that's a good question. There were numerous bugs and edge cases. Some of them were triggered by running multiple clients in parallel. Right, which is just not a supported way to use the software. It just won't work. But also, we didn't have a way to actually discourage users to do that. Right? There wasn't a big notification of you don't. Uh, we're actually there's just an open PR uh, that implements this. Right? So that when one client sees coins of its wallet register that he not register himself, then he will shut down uh, and, and not coin join anymore. Right? So that will solve some of this further. Um, there there were some bugs in in Bitcoin Nuts on our backend that destroyed the mempool when we or, sorry it wasn't a bug in Bitcoin Nuts just weird behavior that we didn't anticipate um, where we lost the mempool after a restart right? uh, and uh, that led to some coin join coins being no longer recognized in the client unconfirmed right and then these these addresses weren't marked as spent. Uh, and then they were reused in the future right things like this probably forgetting a couple there was something in our block filters too I think. Uh, but, but but yeah, you know the thing is, complex is, is bloody dif uh, software is bloody difficult, uh, and the problem is, you know, mistakes on mainnet are are memorable, uh, and when you run buggy software on mainnet and there are certain bugs, you know, they will just get fixed afterwards. But the mistakes that you made are still there. So I think a lot of the things that we saw were were either even already fixed at the time where the mistake was made, but the user was running an out of date client, right? Or later it got fixed. So there is, however. Uh, the big question of should the coordinator be actively blacklisting blacklisting certain addresses that are reused or coins that come from a reused address. Uh, and ah, that's a tough one because address reuse is a quote-unquote legitimate use of Bitcoin, right? You have can have a public donation address right? and then, for example, you have 
multiple coins on the same address and now you want to register them in a coin join and that's going to be a coin from a previous address that's going to re be registered again right or if you want to make payments inside a coin join you might want to make you might want to pay someone who actually has an address reused right so there might be multiple coin joins that have outputs of this one receiver who has a static uh, address right? things like this are are all possible and therefore blacklisting it uh, on the coordinator side is is difficult now there are some cases where you can do that and i think there's something in the code there now so it's yeah it, it's a tough one i i personally uh, you know like to think that the coordinator really is, is quite stupid he's just a psbt whiteboard and ultimately it's up to the user of which coins to register and and which addresses to register of course i would hope uh, to say that the bugs are fixed now we actually saw on on uh, testnet some address reuse too and then we found that we actually had a bug in the new code, uh, 2.0 related. Uh, so that is fixed now. And I think now for for the last couple of weeks, uh, there hasn't been any address reuse on testnet. Um, so I'm I'm thinking, I'm hoping uh, that it's good now. But yeah, there's just a, a lot of edge cases that you need to consider, and it's it's not easy, right? So, but hopefully uh, we'll have bug-free software now, at least in that extent. Right. I mean, it, as I understand, I mean, I, I still see it's like even a, an hour or two ago, I saw there's like an address reuse happening in some Wasabi uh, coin join. So I think and maybe part of this is like an architectural difference as well. So as I see in like, say, the Samurai where they do like a TX0 and they, they split it out earlier, then it may be that that's an easier way to stop address reuse. So I'm curious as well, from your perspective, and I don't know whether you are speaking for ZK Snacks or just for yourself, what, what is the reason for that architectural difference? Is it, is it an efficiency thing? Is it some other reason? Yeah, absolutely. Block space efficiency, saving users on, on mining fee cost. Um, th that was always a design constraint in Wasabi. Uh, and, um, you know, Zero-Link is, is flawed in many ways, uh, in big air quotes. Um, for example, you know, the input to input linkage, right? And you know the input to change output linkage, uh, the coordinator knows at least. Uh, and there's only one denomination or multiples thereof, kind of. So y you could have uh, a zero link implementation like Samurai that that implements the on-chain graph in a way that adheres to the limitations of the coordination principle, right? So every user only has one input and every user only gets one equal amount output and no change, right? This way, the coordinator cannot link uh, uh, anything here, right? Uh, and, and that's great. It's just horrendously block space expensive, you know, because um, for one, you you need to have two transactions, your TX0 and then a second transaction, right? And so you have multiple coins being created and, and spent, which is a large coin, uh, a large cost, right? And you have the transaction header overhead, right? So transaction batching is a massive fee savings. Like we're talking, no, I, I don't know, kind of depends, but 70, 80% or something like this. Just if you batch the TX0 transaction with the actual coin join, right? You could also then have multiple denominations in separate transaction pools, right? Like like Samurai does, the, the one with 0 0.1, 0 0.5, 1 Bitcoin, 5 Bitcoin, whatever, right? But but here again, it's more transactions, more UTXOs being created and destroyed, therefore just a whole bunch more fees. Um, and another thing that we specifically designed Wasabi 2.0 for uh, is that we're still batching the different denomination pools, so to say, but in a way that if you have five Bitcoin, you know, you're still going to give privacy to the plebs, you know, the plebs who have little Bitcoin, like let's say only 0.1 or something like that. The whale is still going to participate in the lower denomination coin join outputs. And therefore, the anonymity set for those lower denominations is going to increase. Right? Uh, if you would have only a round of, of plebs, you would have less anonymity set in that round 
then if you add the whales into this and the whales also get some flap size outputs. And so we had kind of a, a implementation of, of zero link that did have compromises in the extent that we, we accepted certain uh, things that the coordinator will learn, like multiple inputs being able to register at the same time from one user. And in, in some cases also uh, results on, on the blockchain transaction graph, uh, those privacy drawbacks, but they just come at a massive fee savings that is really, really, really substantial. You know, the demurrage cost of using money privately should be low. Right? We want to have cheap transaction fees uh, for, for private payments. And, you know, creating a bunch of UTXOs is just inherently super, super expensive. Right? But what we did with the 2.0 research is we fundamentally improved our coordination protocol. Right? We, we've fixed all the flaws of the zero-link coordination protocol. You can now consolidate multiple inputs in a round anonymously. You can now create multiple outputs in a round anonymously right? uh, of, of whatever arbitrary amount you want. Right? If you want to create an exactly 0.12345678 output, you can do that. Right? And it will be on the coordination level as private as any other uh, amount. So because we've now removed the amount of information or reduced the amount of information that the client needs to share with the coordinator, we can go even more in, into block space savings. And I don't know the exact number, but something like Wasabi 2.0, maybe 100 times cheaper than Wasabi 1.0 for some use cases. Uh, and that's mainly because of... That's in terms of minor fee, yes. not in terms of coin join fee, right? Um, yes, exactly. Um, we're talk the, the main cost is by far mining fee. Coordination fee is, is trivial and already now in a low fee environment. You know, even if you have one sat per V-byte coin joins, if you're creating hundreds and hundreds of coins, you're going to notice that. It's going to eat into your budget. And so um, we'll for sure have to optimize for this in the future when fees are sustainably high. But even right now, it is very much noticeable. Uh, again, one of the main feedbacks that I got from especially corporates is, hey, I have a low margin business. I just can't afford to spend 0.1, 0.2% or something on mining fee. That's crazy. You know, I have a margin of 2%. Like, I'm not going to give you like half of my revenue, you know. So, yeah. And one other major thing that, that we've, you know, if you're only allowed to register one input, right, then uh, you cannot make payments. Uh, so let's say you register an imp one input worth one Bitcoin and you get a one Bitcoin private back. And now you make a payment of 0.3 Bitcoin, right? So now you have the 0.7. How are you going to get back into the 0.1 Bitcoin round, right? You can't. Because you cannot consolidate your 0.7 with another coin that you have to get above the, the 0.1 again. Right? So th that means that you cannot coin join, make a payment, and then coin join again. Right? That, that doesn't work. It even doesn't really nicely work in, in Wasabi 1.0. Uh, but there it works better than in Samurai, right? because at least you can consolidate batched in the coin join itself. Right? And there, uh, there's some outside ambiguity. But with Wabi Sabi and 2.0, Wasabi 2.0, it's, it's fundamentally fixed, right? Because you can register as low as 5,000 sats on the input side, right? And you can consolidate arbitrary coins, a number of coins, I think up to 10, and the coordinator won't know that one person is doing this, right? So uh, that, that just means you can coin join, and then you make a payment, and with the change output that you receive, you just coin join again. And you can register just the one change output and not consolidate it with any of the other uh, inputs that you control in your UTXO set, right? So there's no consolidation penalty in the remix that you make because you don't need to consolidate because any amount is good, right? So this just means with, with 2.0, you're going to be able to just coin join all the time, basically, make a single user payment, right? At, at first, we don't even have payments inside CoinJoin, but it's coming. So at first, you just make a single user payment outside of the CoinJoin, and, and, and then you can coin join the change. Uh, with the fun thing added that for the change and the payment output of the single user payment, if all the inputs of the single user payment are coin join outputs of that coordinator, right, you can remix for free. 
the without paying coordination fee, right? Of course, you do still have to pay mining fee. Uh, that's that's another thing that's that's difficult with with the TX zero setup. You don't know the fee rate in advance, but you're creating in advance the coins that you register into the final coin join round, and right? and there are only what uh, two fresh coins and like three remixes, something like that, maybe flipped around. Uh, but that just means that you have a fixed fee that you will pay all the time, right? And you cannot adjust it, and that that kind of sucks too, right? Um, uh, so you're gonna overpay or underpay for fees. Uh, which is not optimal, right? You're going to, again, save on, on fees and block space, or not on block space, but on fees, uh, if you are able to adjust the fee rate at the point where you're actually creating the coin join itself. And so these are just some some of the, I think, many nuances of why I'm, I'm not a big fan of the TX0 setup. Uh, I, I don't think it makes sense. Yes, it generates perfect coin joins uh, per se, but it comes at usability downside, at a fee estimation downside, and especially at the block space downside. And all these, I think, are, are very much reason enough to, to look for alternatives, right? And yes, our one, Wasabi 1.0 implementation wasn't perfect, right? We, we could have done it a lot better, even in the zero-link coordination concept of Chomian blind signatures. But, well, we decided instead to fix the actual coin join coordination model, you know, and, and make that uh, so that it works with arbitrary amounts, that there's no input-input or output-output linkage. Well, we did that, right? But now comes actually the crazy part of given that we now have the ability to create arbitrary amount coin joins with private consolidations, etc. Well, which output amounts do we actually now choose? Because the coordinator now no longer says everyone needs to get the 0.1 Bitcoin output, right? The coordinator says everything between 5,000 sats and I think 1,300 Bitcoin is good. There are, however, some denominations that are preferred, and we curated them based on some research and simulation. Uh, and uh, these are basically low hemming weight numbers, right? So powers of two, powers of three, uh, powers of 10, you know, in a one to five series. Um, and the, the cool thing is that with these low hemming weight denominations, you can very efficiently decompose any arbitrary amount, uh, input amount, into a, a couple, only a handful of outputs. Right, so you have your one Bitcoin input, a single one Bitcoin input, and you get three or four coins back, right? and they, they all have these standard denominations. But because of how we kind of arrange this client side, almost every denomination has uh, at least a couple anonymity sets, right? so equal outputs with exactly the same denomination as these others. Uh, we did some simulations. I think if we have 50 inputs, um, we have nine change outputs, meaning that they are not equal. They don't have another equal uh, uh, amount. And the average anonymity set size was something like three and a half, I think. Uh, but then if we increase that, it gets a whole bunch better. Uh, so if I remember correctly, 100 inputs was something like only three change outputs with an average anonymity set size of five or a median anonymity set size. Uh, and then if we're above 350 inputs, we get only one change output, like one standard denomination, uh, uh, one non-equal amount. And that is usually the coordinator fee. So basically every user only gets coins that has at least uh, a more than two anonymity set. But on the median, they have nine anonymity set. Right? So when we have a lot of, uh, of, of inputs being registered with our client site amount decomposition that is now possible thanks to Wabi Sabi, um, we get a whole bunch more efficient, right? Like we don't purchase block space for change anymore. Change can be linked to your inputs. Why would you ever buy block space when it can still be linked to your input, right? It doesn't make sense. Um, so we just don't buy block space anymore when you when it's not private, right? So basically every output that you're going to get, every every block space that you purchase 
will increase your ambiguity, right? Uh, and in basically no case will it stay the same, right? Uh, and that's uh, just more and more block space savings. So just so I can understand that, then what we're talking about here is a coin join that has an, a massive number of inputs, as an example. So we're talking about basically a huge, huge transaction, right? It's got hundred, literally two hundred or three hundred inputs, and then on the output side there. What does that look like for the end user? Mm -hmm. At the end, of, is it one cycle and then they get their output UTXO at the end of it? Or can you explain that part for me? Mm -hmm. uh, so there is still going to be a slight fan out on average. So if you have something like 300 inputs, you're going to get 340 outputs. Right? So a larger number of outputs than inputs. That's not always the case, but it is the case on average, at least in our simulations. Right? And that means that our UTXO set does slowly grow, right? We create more outputs than inputs. We could tweak it to actually create less outputs than inputs, but then you would have non-standard denomination change, right? Uh, with, with no anonymity set. Right? And what well, we figured that it's efficient enough to go all the way that you only create private block space, right? And, and, and no change. And then the question of how much anonymity set would you fancy, would you like? I think that depends a lot on, on the user, right? What are your preferences? And they're subjective. Right? And it, it's difficult how we're, how we're going to get that feedback, right? Because how are you going to ask someone to, to give their preferences, right? It's, it's not easy. Um, the, the way that, that we figured is basically three different modes, right? Uh, optimize for speed, optimize for privacy, and optimize for uh, cost, right? Uh, and currently, you choose one out of these three, right? There, there are other ways that you could get more fine-grained nuance out of this. That's where the Austrian method comes in with subjective marginal uh, preference scales, right? You could have three attributes, speed, privacy, and cost. And now you ask the user, please rank order these three attributes to how you want your wallet to behave. So that might be my highest priority is privacy. Uh, my second priority is speed, and my lowest priority is cost, right? So I want to have privacy first and foremost. I want to have it rather quickly, but I really don't care how much money I spend. Right? So that another example would be my highest priority is cost, my second is speed, and my third is privacy. Right? So first of all, I, want, I don't want to pay much for block space. Second of all, I still want to get it somewhat fast, but really I don't care about the privacy. Like a little ambiguity is good enough. Right? I'm, I'm, no, I'm not on the FBI most wanted list, so you know, a little bit of, of anonymity is, is all right. Um, and the, the results of these, this question of user preferences will adjust the behavior of your, your block space accountant, you know, the, the robot with whom you charge to purchase block space on your behalf, right? Uh, because, uh, and that can be in, in numerous things, right? So one would be, for example, uh, how many UTXOs do you want to create, right? If you prior prioritize cost above everything else, you would want to reduce the number of coins that you create, right? Because mining fee is the most substantial. Uh, oh yeah, another thing to control for cost is um, the, the current fee rate of the coin join, right? So in, in the join market taker, the maker taker model, the coordinator, one of the users, just defines the fee rate and pays it. Uh, but in the in the reputable, uh, persistent, centrally coordinated model, the coordinator uh, chooses the, the fee rate. Right? Um, and so at some points in time, you know, the current fee rate is going to be way higher than it was in the past, you know, mempool spike. And you can basically filter out those mempool spikes by saying, if the current coin join fee is larger or higher than the median of the last week of all coin joins that happened, right? Then I don't want to register. So this, you basically only register uh, like whenever it's lower than the average of, of the last week. Right. So it's kind of timing, sort of waiting for a good window to optim or opportunistically say, oh, hey, the mempool is low. Let me put mine in now. Exactly. So, uh, kind of that in a 
sort of a coded way. Ex exactly. Yep. And 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 then to how do we control for for privacy? Well, that's mainly the anonymity set calculation, right? And and here we calculate a very conservative lower bound estimate, right? So we only count the a number of equal amount outputs, right? And that is your anonymity set. And then there are very strong consolidation penalties, right? So even though the coordinator does not know which coins you consolidate, you know, an outside observer maybe still might get some information. So when you consolidate multiple coins, we just take the lowest common denominator, right? So you have a 10 anon set, a 5 anon set, and a 3 anon set coin, and you all consolidate them. Then the resulting, uh, like the, the combined lowest common denominator would be 3 anon set. Right? And let's say on the output side, you get another five anon set. Right? So you have three anon set on the input side because of the consolidation penalty, five anon set on the output side. So that's eight. I think that's how it works. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so then the question is, how much anon set do you actually want? And, and here, for example, if prior privacy is your lowest, you're okay with maybe, I don't know, five anon set. And you're going to get five anon set basically in a single round. Maybe not for every denomination, but for most, for sure. But, you know, if privacy is your highest uh, highest preference, you might actually want to go all the way to 100 anon set, for example. Um, and now we also have this concept of the, the minimum and maximum anonymity set range, right? Whereas previously it was a target, and now it is a range, right? So that means um, if you're below the minimum, you will always register these rounds, or, or you will prefer to register those coins below the anonymity set size. Right, or target uh, minimum. And if you reach over that minimum, but you're still below the maximum, you will only occasionally coin join. Right? You will prefer to coin join the ones who are lower, but you will still do occasional remixes whenever it is opportune. Uh, but then if you reach the maximum anonymity set, you will just not coin join anymore. Right? That's kind of the sanity check of if it's more than 100, that's plenty. Please don't waste any more money on say, buying block space. You know, 100 is, is sufficient. And that's kind of the controlling mechanisms here. One other question I've got with Wasabi 2.0, as obviously I haven't used it, is there going to be a segregation there between pre-mix and post-mix, right? Is, there, is that segregation going to exist? And are there going to be something like a post-mix spend tools, right? So in Samurai, for example, they have Stonewall, Stonewall X2. These are some examples. So is there going to be some kind of analog or something like that in Wasabi 2.0, or is it a different model? Um, so yes, there's still the concept of coins that have a, a known uh, or that are known by a certain identity so basically your label right generate a new receive address saying hey i'm i'm sending that money to stefan right so uh, that address to stefan he's going to pay me and uh, you know maybe he uses the kraken exchange and he just makes deposits out of that directly so i would write stefan comma kraken for example then i um then wasabi will prefer to uh, this will automatically have a one anonymity set uh, and therefore, Wasabi will prefer to coin join it. Uh, then uh, as soon, if it is below the minimum anonymity set score, we keep the labels. And right? so that metadata is still there. Right? You only got three anon set, but your minimum was five, for example. So it would still show you, Stefan uh, and Kraken know that this is yours, right? Um, and Wasabi prefers, or uh, as soon as you get above the, min the minimum anon set threshold, that label metadata disappears though, right? We consider this coin sufficiently private where Stefan and Kraken no longer know that it is actually mine. And then when, whenever you make a single user payment, which as of now is, is you know, more, well, uh, when you make a single user payment, uh, Wasabi will always prefer in, in the, its automatic coin selection to send those coins that are above the minimum anon set target, uh, even above the maximum anon set target. So in most cases, 
right? And since most, uh, since all of your coins that you get get some anonymity set, right? In most cases, you're going to have 70, 80% of your wallet balance in uh, above and on set target coins. And therefore, you just select automatically some of them. You don't care which ones are selected because all of them are fungible, quote unquote. All of them have some ambiguity. Uh, another cool benefit is that because we have these low Hemingweight standard denominations, they don't just effectively uh, get decomposed from one input to multiple uh, denomin- uh, multiple outputs. They also get very efficiently uh, consolidated, right? So let's say you want to make a payment of 1.2 Bitcoin or something like this. Uh, because you have a lot of these standard denominations, you might just have to consolidate a handful of coins to actually get that. And you're going to get exactly the amount that you want to have, right? So there's not going to be a change coming back to you. Uh, we're actually automating that process now that whenever you type in a payment amount, Wasabi will calculate for you in the background and say, hey, uh, here a change output is created if you set exactly that fee rate and that payment amount. But if you send a little bit more or a little bit less, and often it's just a matter of a couple sats, uh, there's not going to be a change amount created. Right. So it's that it's the kind of stopping the change, change, uh, avoidance. change avoidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, change avoidance. I've heard it referred to. So that's an interesting idea. So I think some of it comes down to for the user thinking about what am I going to use? It comes down to in their mind, what quality of coin join are they looking for? And they have to then decide what tools are available in that ecosystem, right? If they're using join market or samurai or wasabi, they have to think about that. So I think it, it comes down to, I think there is the, just that difference of trying to deal with unmixed change inside the mix, right? So I think that's probably the... And, and that's fixed in 2.0, right? There is right. no more change, right? So that's another reason why there is no XPUB segregation or so. There's just a metadata segregation, right? Uh, but but since there is no no change anymore, at least in most cases, right? Uh, and that's all right, you know? You, you don't need to have proper segregation if all the block space, all the outputs that you get are fungible. Right. Right. So, and, and then in terms to in terms to postmix uh, tools, so uh, Wasabi has the pay join sending capability, right? So if you want to send to BTC Pay or something that works, not yet receiving, that will come. There is actually an old old PR that makes it work, but uh, we didn't put much effort into it yet. Um, and I, I guess this change avoidance can be considered as a postmix privacy tool. Uh, however, there is n- no such thing as these, uh, you know, two party coin joins or, or fake coin joins. Um, because again, you know, you block space efficiency, you know, and it just having some small ambiguity, but needing to purchase, you know, twice as much block space is a question of if that's actually worth it. Uh, and for me personally, I, I would like to obliterate the postmix world in the sense, make every spend a coin join. Right? And you can do that in Wabi Sabi again, right? You can register arbitrary amounts and nobody knows like who registered it. Uh, so I think we're going to see payments in the coin join, right? So that I'm a Wasabi user and you give me your address. And then I just put it into an output of the uh, of the huge coin join with exactly the amount that you would want to have. I might be I might need to be able to generate multiple addresses for you, right? Because coin join rounds fail, and you don't want to reuse addresses across uh, different rounds. And so I might need your your XPUB or at least some gap limit of of multiple um, addresses, right? Uh, that's one thing. But the other thing that's that's even more exciting is is uh, payments inside a coin join. I kind of call it pay to endpoint wabi sabi. Right, so, so here we have a scenario where both Stefan and me are Wasabi wallet users, or at least we understand the Wabi Sabi coin join protocol, and we talk to the same coordinator. And let's say I want to make a payment to Stefan. Now, I register an input, not with Stefan, but I registered with, with the coordinator. Right, So Nutor Identity talks to the coordinator. I register my input, and now I get this uh, uh, my, my eCash credential, these key verified anonymous credentials. Right, 
Uh, and let's say I registered one Bitcoin, so it's one Bitcoin worth, right? And now uh, I can reissue this this credential to myself, right? It's it's like an internal transfer in the eCash system, which has the anonymity set size of all the transactions that happen in the eCash system, right? So I just make one uh, reissuance where I break up the the one Bitcoin credential into two credentials worth 0.3 and 0.7. And now I have a new credential that is 0.3, just a string of text. It's a signature, basically. Uh, and I can give that credential to Stefan. Right? So for him, it's just some arbitrarily looking gibberish. But he can now go to the coordinator and request and to claim that. Well, he, he first requests to reissue the credential too. Right? So you uh, you present that 0.3 credential and you go to, co to the coordinator and say, I would like a 0.2 and a 0.1. Um, but we're actually using Patterson commitments here. So the coordinator does not know the amount that's happening. He just sees one, one credential gets presented and two get redeemed. Uh, he doesn't know the value in them, but he makes sure that outputs uh, equal inputs. Right? So th this way now, you have two new credentials right, that nobody knows are yours, basically. And these credentials, again, give you access rights to write to the output side of the PSPT. And so uh, uh, during output registration now, you connect to the coordinator directly. You don't connect to me, but you connect to the coordinator. Right? And you present him the point 0.2 credential, and you say, please send it to this address. Then you create a new Tor identity, and you present the point 0.1 credential, right? and say, to this address, right. please. Right? And that's how I can kind of claim it from the coordinator, exactly. even if I'm not a Wasabi 2.0 user myself. No, no, in this case, you have to be a Wasabi, or at least you need to understand Wabi Sabi and talk to the same coordinator. It might happen in a different wallet if there's a BIP and a standard, right? Um, but, but so that, and I do the same with my change output, right? I still get 0.7 back. So I break that down to 0.4 and 0.3 or something, you know, and I present those two coins, right? The right, same way, yeah. But now the, the the crazy thing is, I just paid you money, but you have no idea which input coin I used. Right? I never sent that to you. It's one of hundreds of inputs on the coin join. So you have no idea about my past transaction history, and I, as a sender, have no idea about the addresses or amounts that you just had. So I don't know your address, and therefore not your future transaction history. Right? So these are perfectly anonymous payments in the sense that neither the sender nor the receiver knows the pre- and post-mixed transaction history. And the coordinator doesn't even know that that's going on. Right? For him, it's just a regular reissuance request. He doesn't know that someone passed the, the token to someone else. And the best thing is, it works similar to PayJoin, that the receiver can also consolidate anonymously. Right, so you, Stefan, just register an input or a couple inputs at the coordinator. Then you get my. I register some inputs and I give you the amount credential of what I want to pay you. But you already have some credentials, you know, from the three coins that you registered or something. Plus, you get my credential, and now you can consolidate those credentials. Basically, present two of them to the coordinator and turn them into one. And you do that twice or three times, and then you have one credential with all the amounts, right? And that ends up being put onto the Bitcoin blockchain, right? So, I, I like it might even be, and I don't know that you're consolidating, right? So, I have literally no idea of neither the address nor the amount that you are receiving on the other side. Yeah, interesting to see. Okay, so uh, what's the uh, timeline then for? You know, Wasabi 2.0 or Wabi Sabi? Two weeks, of course. <laughs> um, I mean, so uh, I think four weeks ago, we released the first testnet release candidate. Um, I mean, the, the code was open source. You could have run it on mainnet since day one, right? But we would not encourage it yet. Uh, and, and we, CK Snacks, do, do not run a coordinator on mainnet yet. And so we only have a Wabi Sabi testnet coordinator. And I think we're the only one. Or now, no, actually, some people are testing 
with the coordinator too. So we're probably not the only one in testnet. Uh, but uh, and now a couple of days ago, we released the second version of our uh, release candidate. By the way, in, in that meantime, I think it was only two weeks. Uh, something like 110 pull requests got merged. Like that's that's what you get when you know 30 developers are working on some code, and that's what you get when you have a, a reputable long-term coordinator who earns a bunch of money. And you can actually pay people to focus full time on that. So we're making like some serious, serious improvements here. And yeah, that's out. So so go to the uh, github.com slash ckSnacks slash wallet wasabi and scroll down. There's a pre-release version two uh, and, and try it out. It's cool. It's it's not just the, the coin join under the hood uh, having been improved tremendously, but uh, it's an entire new user interface. Um, we have, I think, three of the maintainers of Avalonia, which is a UI framework, uh, working full time on Wasabi. Uh, and they are kind of considering Wasabi to be one of the flagship products of Avalonia. So they really put a lot of love into it and make it look uh, quite beautiful. Even master branches are already more advanced than our testnet, second testnet release candidate. So the UI is, is really, really pretty. Because Wasabi 2.0 is going to be so much more block space efficient and so much more cheaper for our users, we're not just happy to do it by default. Right? So whenever you send money into your Wasabi wallet and it confirms, those coins will be registered and right? automatically. You don't have to do anything. And it will just break down into smaller value coins that uh, have some ambiguity. Right? And Wasabi will also now keep running in the background. Right? So by default, the, the GUI just minimizes, basically. But the daemon keeps running in the background, rather resource light, hopefully. Uh, and then you can just opportunistically coin join as long as you have compu your computer running. Uh, basically, you know, all of this together just makes it such a more simple UX. Now, it's literally you receive money, you wait a couple hours, and then you spend money. You have no idea what happened in the meantime, but you can rest assured that uh, your privacy is protected, that the person whom you're sending money to now has no idea how much money you earned in the past or from whom. And, and this is, I think, really one of the, like, one of the things that is just, um, that led to a lot of user mistakes in, in 1.0 was that we offloaded a bunch of responsibility to the user in 1.0, right? Uh, it, it was all based on manual coin selection uh, and, and manual coin join re registration, right? So by default, even though we had perfect privacy on, on, on Tor and network level with, with block filters, right? But by default, there was zero privacy on the Bitcoin base layer, right? On the blockchain, I mean, uh, in, in Wasabi 1.0. Because the user, first of all, had to, had to understand that there's a problem. I'm sure if you had a one anon set coin, there was a red shield, but who cares, right? So nobody knows what that even means. And they need to know that there's a solution to that problem, which is known as coin join. But what the fuck is a coin join? You know, no idea. So nobody knew that there was a problem or few people knew that there was a problem. Few people knew the solution to the problem and fewer still knew how to use the solution properly in the sense of not consolidating inputs and stuff. But we just offloaded a bunch of responsibility to the user who are frankly the, the, the least educated and the least able to make those decisions. Right? I have no idea how to you know, configure Tor properly. I just install the Tor browser and it works. You know? But I don't need to know the details of what are circuits and uh, you know, streams and bridges and whatnot. It, it just works by default. Uh, and I think we've achieved that on mainnet, uh, or uh, sorry, we've, we've achieved that on the blockchain now. Right, that you actually don't need to care about what are UTXOs even. You just receive money and you spend it and that's it. But because of the default coin join and because of some things like the change avoidance, you know, pocket selection and things like this, we can just abstract a lot of the complexities um, uh, out of the wallet. Right? And that's another thing that's quite controversial, you know, because I'm a power user and I love to see all the details and be able to control my robot, you know, to, to its fullest extent. Um, and Wasabi 2.0 is, is, is moving away from that direction, right? It's, it doesn't try to be the next Electrum or, or Sparrow, right? It's, it's really tries to be a wallet that everyone can use. 
And everyone can use privately by default without doxing all of your financial activity on the chain. And, and I think that's a, that's a quite important goal. We're still probably far away from it. Like 2.0 is quite shitty. <laughs> you know, it's, it's far from perfect um, on, on many levels, right? But I think it's a major, major leap and improvement in, in Bitcoin privacy wallet design uh, in, in general. So, you know, as, as bad as it is, I'm still quite proud of it, of what we've actually achieved here. But I'm very uh, certain that this is not the end. Like there is a whole bunch more things that can and will be improved. Uh, so it's definitely not going to be boring. Okay, well, uh, I'll uh, have to have a look. I think it is one of those things where people are, yeah, I guess we'll have to see what happens with that and see what happens in terms of, uh, you know, chain uh, surveillance or chain analysts in the community and uh, privacy developers and privacy advocates say once they've had a chance to play around with it. Um, so, Max, thanks for joining me today and we'll uh, catch up some other time. Um, oh, and Max, where can people find you online? Yeah, thanks, Stefan, for the invite. I think uh, really good that we talked. And again, like, I don't think we disagree on much here. Um, like, I, I just want to highlight there's a bunch of nuance here. Right? And uh, ultimately, that's why we have the free market. You know, I, I think this is a win-win-win going to be for everyone. Um, more services offered like this are a good thing. And ultimately, also, you know, financial incentives are key. And if, you know, uh, you're going to pay a hundred or a thousand times more in fees uh, with, with other solutions, you know, that's uh, that's going to be noticeable. Uh, so I'm, I'm super stoked that we improved efficiency of on-chain coin joints by such an extent and the usability of them too. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on Bitcoin privacy more than I ever was before, even though I, I'm not that happy with that decision CK Snacks took. Um, but yes, uh, find me on Twitter at HillebrandMax, uh, TowardsLiberty.com, uh, my site for personal consultations and, and all other things. Uh, was a pleasure speaking with you, Stefan. Uh, let's keep in touch. Thanks, Max. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the show and found that valuable. Get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash 364. Thanks for listening, and I will see you in the Citadels.